This episode of the Last Game Podcast is brought to you by an overrated, overproduced industry award show where people give bald golden statues to each other. To another episode of the Last King podcast. Hello, hello. I'm Mr. Duffy, and this is Doctor Shafiq. Darth, Darth Shafiq. I think we've established oh that Darth Shafiq from now on. Yes. Oh my God. I thought, you, I thought the last time you told me you wanted to be um, Lord Shafiq or Deathmonger Shafiq. Everybody, this is gonna be uh, the running gag for this season, where I have to find my identity. It's an existential crisis right here, going Dude, on. Dude, you know you remind me of a Disgaea character where I <laughs> I have to change titles every time I bring you to battle, like. Humongous Shafiq, Lord Shafiq, oh. Darth Evil Bad Guy Shafiq, and then your your stats will change depending on what title I give you. Wasn't Humongous like the bad guy in the Mad Max Two, the Road Warrior? Yes, Ooh, he was. Yes, yes. <laughs> the Lord okay, Humongous. I think I won't uh. be surprised if this guy actually used that reference because they will put a lot of pop culture shit inside. Which reminds me, I kind of want to play a part, but the one that came out, I think it was part 5 now? There's a 5th Disgaea? Wow. Yes, and <laughs> if you thought the 2nd and the 3rd game were more complex, <laughs> this one, I heard this one is actually much more than that. Is it even they more? Are just, they're expanding more and more, like, you know, you don't have an item world anymore, you've got like an item world inside an item world, and oh my god, it's so... I mean, you. But that's what I like about these kind of games, like, they, they you can choose to go into this hardcore shit if you want to if you don't want to yeah fine you can play the game normally I mean, I mean I've never followed this guy again Did, oh it... you will love it if you are patient if you like to have your characters go beyond do more than like a million damage and all that by sheer determination and hard work yes you will love this game well speaking of sheer determination and hard work right, the game that I'm really interested in playing right now uh, has just been recently released uh, I'm talking Ooh, of course about Team Ninja's uh, attempt at Dark Souls we're talking about Neo. Neo did you play it? okay dude how, how was it? How well was it? okay what you Last King fans don't know yet is like okay we were invited to a very special media uh, PlayStation event where we got to uh, have some hands-on time with games like uh, what was that what uh, Horizon Zero, Zero Dawn Horizon Zero Dawn I was about to say Event Horizon Zero Dawn I <laughs> uh, said Neil and Lauren Fishburne now take over as a cave lady she or something she won't let you leave you can't <laughs> <laughs> Sam Neil not not sure whether he's American or from New Zealand but still you know predates Inception with the whole pushing a pencil through a piece of paper. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I had, okay, hands-on with that. I had, uh, I tried Neo. Uh, there was also this uh, local uh, Singapore-made uh, horror game called Stifle, which lo- looks really interesting, and it's uh, kind of utilizing the latest VR technology available on the Sony platform. But Ooh, cool. out of all the games I tried, Neo seems to be the one to play, because currently, right now, I'm going through my Resident Evil run-through. I'm almost done, I think. I'm not too sure. But I'm not going to go f- do a full review yet. But to me, when I did my hands-on on Neo at the, at the, at the event, that is very much going to be my game of the year. I it wow, I feel that strongly about too. it. So, after Resident Evil, you're going to buy this game and you're going to get the shit out of it, right? The 
I'm I was like one of those guys who's on the fence thinking to myself that okay, the guys who did Ninja Gaiden, one of my favorite games of all time, okay, despite the sequels. And also uh Extreme Beach Volleyball, one of my favorite volleyball games of all time. <laughs> I can't, I can't, the only best volleyball I game can't think of any other competitor to that, but I would say like Neo is everybody like will mention that it's a Dark Souls clone or like you know maybe like um It's not a rip-off, but it's like taking a certain new genre. I, I don't know. I, we, I'm not yet to, to kind of formulate the right way to describe what a Dark Souls game is, right? But the thing is, right, if you want to talk about difficulty and how things stack and how, like, you know, you have to develop as a player rather than you developing a character, mm-hmm. Neo hits all the right checkboxes to me. And it, like, if any company were to do, like, a proper, like, you know, difficult-as-fuck game, I would say it would be Team Ninja. I mean, granted, like they've kind of like had hit and miss in the past. I mean, like Ninja Gaiden 3 was not great. Uh, their attempt at the Metroid game, Metroid Other M, which everybody hates, but I think is like not that terrible. I mean, okay, so now we're back to okay. So Neo, really good stuff. Like, why? Why do you think so? I think it fixes the one problem I have with the Dark Souls games, where uh, basically, I mean, if you play a Dark Souls game, right, one of the hindrances, I wouldn't even say a hindrances, but one of the mechanics is, right, whenever you were to attack or to do anything, whenever you press a button, you have to commit to your attack move, to your animation, and then, like, whether, like, you know, you timed it perfectly or you hesitated or you're, like, too eager, that's, like, how what makes and breaks that game. And, Ooh, that's yeah. why I don't really like playing the Dark Souls games to be honest. Yeah. And Bloodborne, even though it's supposed to be a slightly faster take on it, I also feel that. I mean, there are some things you gotta need to commit. I mean, I think I think the thing I need to kind of like uh, also kind of like um, say is like uh, games like Dark Souls and games like Bloodborne right, require a certain amount of uh, preparation and patience. And pay lots of patience. Yeah, and then like again, like Bloodborne, like the fact that they remove the whole shield mechanic and it forces you to dodge and parry a bit more, like m- makes it more of an aggressive game. Like that's yeah. like that to me. Bloodborne is the, like the best out of all the Souls, uh, like games, like that style of game. Now, when I played Neo, like with that Obsidian smooth Ninja Gaiden style of control and like just the way your character reacts, I mean you can't like. Cancel or combo as like is is not a Ninja Gaiden game. It is literally a Dark Souls clone, but it's a very very well done Dark Souls clone where they took the one thing that people that bothered people and they just decided to like push it away. So I mean, until I get my hands on the full game and I do a proper playthrough, and I, I can't really um how you say judge it yet because the thing is, at the event I was only given like a whole stage to play through, and like that it, it the mechanics was presented to me in a way that was very compelling and like co- encouraged me to like this might be what I've been waiting for all this while. And plus, these kind of games do need you you to require playing through most of it or if all if you can because. The context of the stage is not indicative of the context of the entire game, right? Mm, definitely. You want to have the full Neo experience fighting all the bosses. I played the demo a little bit and it feels really good. This is the Dark Souls game that I kind of want, but at the same time, yeah, I need to play the full game. Now I'm kind of torn between getting this and Yakuza later oh, on. In the future, so <laughs> Yakuza like, looks so fun. Should I, just buy, should, I just, should I just buy both? Fuck it. Yeah, because buy both. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably gonna do that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. We're all PlayStation st- shields here. You know, Sh- shoutouts to Sony in Japan. But you know? but 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 in terms of like which one should I buy and play first? That's gonna be a sticker for me. That's gonna be a kicker for me right there. My suggestion. Because Yakuza is great. I mean, I've heard some. I mean, I played the past Yakuza games two, three, four. 
5 in Japanese. And even the Kenzan ones, the one where he was using a sword as like an alternate story thing. Which one was the so, one with zombies? Yeah, uh, Yakuza Dead Souls, I think. <laughs> that wasn't good. That was a terrible Yakuza game. Well, it's but anyway, I, but I digress. Again, Yakuza 0, I think what I like about this is like, it's you don't have to look at the Yakuza baggage to play the game. Mm, I see. I mean, it's a standalone product. I mean, like, if it, especially if you're a fan of the story, right? It like takes place at the very beginning before he becomes yes. who he is. Before he met the orphan kid, um, mm. ah, he crap Haruki Harumi. Ah, damn it, I forgot her name. But the Har- really cool Har- orphan Haruki. kid. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I would say for you, if you want to have fun, go ahead and get Yakuza. If you want to get yourself, if you want to get your ass kicked, if you want a challenge, Neo might be the game of the year. Ooh, what I like about Neo, apparently it's taking the Diablo format where you get lots of loot it's if you a kill loot a lot based, of things. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. it took me a while to get used to, but at the same time, I think, uh, I mean, I like the fact that, you know, for every battle, you have the drops, you have what the reward that forces you to push forward and to kind of like tweak your character a little bit. So, I don't know, I mean, once I get, once we, we get like... A, a full copy like yeah then we'll do the proper review I guess yeah yeah we'll, so, we'll, we're, gonna, we're gonna play it properly we don't have a deadline which is good so we kind of want to take our time with games like these because they're fucking huge damn it <laughs> I mean like this uh, is the year for PlayStation definitely I mean like I mean, dude Wars I told you like, I finished Final Fantasy 15 like yeah. beginning of January or something right so I mean you didn't even take your time you really played through the game huh? yeah I really took my sweet time yes that too <laughs> I, mean, I guess a combination of both lah so <laughs> I mean, like, uh, what else are you looking forward to coming out this year? I mean, God of War, is it still coming out this year? Or is it, has it been officially delayed? There's no news about that. No news but about... I know Horizon Zero Dawn's coming out. I'm looking forward to that. In just a few weeks, right? It's definitely... Uh, uh, one more month. Well, we got one more month. It's more. early March or is it late March? Uh, middle of March. Middle, middle of March, March, right. So yeah, as yeah. the time of this recording or as the time of the release of this episode, yeah, definitely, you know, it will probably be just around the corner. <laughs> yep, yep. And I don't know what else is coming out. Okay, um... For Honor should be out by the time of, it will probably be really really out by the time this episode's out. I think by the time this of this episode is already left beta or it's probably uh yeah it should be it should be out in a few days. I don't know. I mean I played the I played the closed beta. Really really solid stuff. Like I okay, you know like how most Call of Duty matches they happen, you got a sniper going on. Now take away the sniper, <laughs> give everyone a hand handheld weapon. And make sure that the camera is like third person. So you gotta be aware of who's coming behind you. You gotta be aware of how you block because blocking in this game is very important. I mean, you have to. There's actually a. There's actually three methods of blocking: a high stance, left stance, and right stance. Oh. So if a dude attacks you from the left, you block from the left, and so forth and so forth. I mean, now the cool thing about this is when you block, you get to actually change it on the fly. So let's just say you know a guy who's gonna attack you from the left, and then your stance is from the top. So he's gonna attack you from the left. So you can actually change to the left stance at the very last possible second. Mm, so which it, means that you can also parry and you can also attack too. So the game is very reactionary in a sense where like, you know, even if you, like I said, like like, it's like a game like Neo or something, you can still kind of change your mind about what you want to do at, at certain yes. moments. You don't have to commit with, to blocking because mm. the, the, the block stances switch really, really fast. I mean, like, but... Comparing this to a game like maybe Chivalry, I would say. I mean, is there any other game? That... Chivalry is first place, and you can sort of mash your way through this game. Hmm. For for honor, if you are if you're fighting three guys against one guy, yeah, the three guys can mash. But if it's on a one on one thing, it can be a bit tough unless you have a support guy coming in. And if your guys are actually holding the fort in the center, which is where a lot of the fights will happen, 
chances are you're going to be alone by yourself pretty much a lot for quite a while. But there is actually a mechanic called the revenge mechanic where you can actually overpower two guys if you're getting if you're getting in a handicap situation lah. So once you build up that meter for blocking, you get to be in this super saiyan mode and you can deal I think a bit more damage and you can block when you if you regardless of your stance, you block all around you for like a limited amount of time. But when is this game scheduled to be released? Uh, it is actually going to be out on the 14th of February. Which yeah, is so f- by the time this episode is out, it's I probably, think it's out probably, probably out already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are you but, gonna... I, I, but I have really high hopes for it. So there's a lot of potential for this game. It's just that whether the community will actually buy into like a third person, side of, sort of like multiplayer version of a Dark Souls kind of fight, except you fight PV, PvP, like, you know. In a sense, uh, I mean, this brings back memories of like maybe Jedi Knight Two, Jedi Outcast, or Jedi Academy, where everybody Either just way. didn't use web. Everybody didn't use blasters. It was just saber fights all the way. <laughs> yes, yes, it reminds me of that a lot. Except the the clanging of the metal and the clash, all that. It just feels really gruesome and very, very. I don't want to use visceral too much, but I get that feeling. You know, okay. it just feels like a you're control. You're not controlling a super fast guy. We're controlling a sort of tank-like character, so blocking matters, playing defense matters. But if you're if you're too aggressive, the guy's gonna see through you and he's gonna block. So it's and he knows where to parry. Looking forward to the sound of flesh on steel and steel on flesh. Huh? Yeah, blood, <laughs> blood, uh, okay. dude. <laughs> anyway, okay, I think that should be enough to wrap up our introduction and like you know our game segment. I mean. Yeah, a very very short but thorough game segment. We need to constantly remind our fans out that yes, we're kind of still a video game show, but we need to also kind of mention that the fact that this is going to be a companion piece to our previous episode where we talked yes. about the uh, Best Picture nominees for the 2016 Oscars, which is coming out yep. in 2017. So we've talked about all the awesome, the, 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 the overrated movies, uh, <laughs> movies that deserve the 2016 award. Yeah. And now we're going to go to travesties, the movies that should have been picked, I mean, but they weren't even in the listings at all. I mean, d- definitely. I mean, even though like the Oscars expanded their list of uh, best picture, I mean it used to be very short. It used to be like three or five movies, and now it's like ten f- movies, right? And it's very obvious that some of these movies are basically just padding or fillers just to make up the numbers, like to have a full list. But at the yeah. same time, you know, I okay, I the reason why I wanted I wanted this episode to happen is because my movie of last year, Sing Street. Not only didn't it get nominated for Best Picture, and I know it's a it's a very genre flick, it's a very indie flick. I mean, it, it's probably nowhere along the same uh, caliber as something like Moonlight or same same caliber as something like Manchester by the Sea, right? But why I want to bring this up is that it didn't even get any nomination for Best Song, and Goddamn La La Land, a movie that I think is extremely overrated, got two nominations. It had nomin- two songs, two yeah, nominations. That, that, that's not really fair. I mean, I like La La Land more than you. It's just that having two songs from the same film, no, you should you don't yeah. do that shit, man. You should definitely be a little bit more. I wouldn't even say fair. You should be fair. Would, yeah, no, fair, fair is a key word here. You yeah. gotta have one movie per song. It's like not having, two, not two songs per movie or something like that. I mean, yeah, you have to choose one, and then but at the same time, it's like okay, I as I said before, like. La La Land, a lot of music, not say forgettable, but not very memorable. And then like, you know, I still hum... Uh, I can argue with that, but I know what you mean, yeah. But One I... song per movie, you know. Yeah, One but song like, per movie. The, the, the Sing Street, the, the song they, they, they played at the prom, that is still stuck in my head. I still listen to that on my way to work every day. That It's just so catchy and beautiful and gorgeous. But at the same time, like, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I mean, maybe it's not... Uh, 
up there enough, or maybe it's not not high class enough. But eh. yeah, it's so sad. I mean, I saw I I did I did finally see Sing Street. That was really really good. A, I, I can see why you love it a lot. I mean, like, what was your? Uh, I can't remember. I mean, shout outs to uh, best of two thousand sixty episode with Michael Liu again. <laughs> what was your pick for best film? Hunt for um, the Golden People. Handmaiden was one of them. I remember. Uh-huh. Uh, Deadpool, I guess. But because I was like out of ideas, and plus I did not actually watch the, the those nominated films like Lion and all that until 2017. <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait! I didn't even watch Handmaiden until 2017. Come to think of it, but you so, you picked Hunt for the Wilder People or the yes, yes, that was a really was, good film. But that was a movie, I, your movie of 2016, right? Yeah, I okay. To be honest, I don't think it's Oscar worthy. This is actually my personal pick mm. because I just like how it feels. I like. Sam Neill in this, like him, him being a very grumpy motherfucker to a slightly, a slightly grumpier motherfucker who likes the kid. Yeah, shout, shout out to like five minutes ago where you mentioned him in Event Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and but then at the end of the day, if I want an Oscar-worthy film, I'm gonna wish Handmaiden was picked. Handmaiden. That was that was a really good film. But I think I'm happy he got nominated be... in Cannes, but. For Oscars, I think you need to put in a foreign film somehow, somewhere. But I think they, they, they did create the best foreign film category just specifically for these kind of situations, right? So yeah, Perhaps, perhaps. But Maybe Handmaiden is there, but for Best Picture, I think it could have been nominated for that part. But okay, like speaking of which, right? Life is Beautiful, the movie by Roberto Bedini, did make it into Best Picture category. And I think it's something to do with distribution or like maybe having a studio kind of pick it up and foster its uh, appearance in like cinemas around America. So if it has I a local so. release, it, it, it can actually, uh, it, I say, live beyond like the Best Foreign Picture and then actually enter the Best Picture category. But then again, I mean, like I think movies like even like The Piano was like, it's not really, was it made in Hollywood? No, right? I think it was. Mm, uh, don't think so. No, no. Or even like Roman Polanski's movie, The Pianist, which was. Pianist. And he is not allowed in America anymore. He's on exile, right? Yeah. So shouldn't that have been best foreign film, or is it best like you know best picture? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's best picture but, apparently. I mean, but apparently, the, I, the, the Oscar works in very mysterious. No, I don't. Think conflicting it's, ways in a sense. Conflicting, yes. Mysterious, no. I mean, it's very obvious. It's all about, uh, you know palming hands and just rubbing shoulders and knowing certain people to get your films in there I mean the purpose it of could remind us it, it reminds us of a lot of in, uh, a lot of industries we're familiar with <clears throat> the gaming industry anyway yeah. <laughs> I mean like especially when people pick fights with people on the internet and they say oh this game won game of the year it's like a magazine or a website gave it game of the year or they can give yeah. themselves game of the year there is no <laughs> definitive standard it's like oh Witcher 3's game of the year like yeah because you know, you, you know the world's <laughs> kind of fucked up when Steam <laughs> itself has its own game of the year awards it, uh, this it's got the best categories <laughs> Best cow in a game. Like wow, Steam. Yeah, catering. Setting the, the bar really high there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the point of it. It's not really setting a bar. It's just more like, I mean, we have to face it. The Oscars in itself is an industry awards. It's just people in the industry, other directors, producers, actors, filmmakers, or you know, just even the guys who push the money and the, the people who do the business. It's just an opportunity for them to pat themselves on the back and to kind of like advertise their movies again or the no I mean because basically these movies came out say 2016 from like January up till December yeah okay. so they're pitting movies in 2016 against each other lah. so mm. we gotta pick the movies during that period but you notice that the picks are actually on movies that came out like a tail end 
or I could be wrong. I could be wrong. It's the December Oscar season. Everybody knows about it. Yeah. <laughs> Where all these movies, like you know, even though they're finished in January or March or even in June, like just in time for the summer season, yeah. they'll we're just saving our. They'll yeah. just push it to the end of the, because. Unfortunately, it's like we now live in an era where nobody can put a movie out in the summer season because there's either going to be a Transformers or a Marvel movie or a DC movie, that, and all these movies are definitely going to get annoyed and not going to make any money. So exactly. it's like they're, they've been isolated to these little pockets of like you know December or early January. I mean, not even early January anymore. I mean, January used to be the the time of year to watch the more esoteric, the more uh, auteur films. You know, like like yep, Christopher yep. Nolan could drop a movie in January and still make money. Okay, no other director can do that anymore. Yeah, and but at the same time, it's like at the same, uh, it's uh, I say, I mean, like what we mentioned before in the previous episode, uh, the Oscars now have become not say de facto, but like probably one of the best places to go to watch uh how you say a curated list of movies that are worth your attention if you want to ignore like the hype from Disney and Marvel and whatsoever. Something to get away, something to filter out all the noise. I guess so, but then at the same time, uh, still travesties because I think people need to understand that the Oscars, how you get nominated, it isn't really worth your. It's not based on merit. It's based on your campaign and your marketing. I and mean, there is some merit, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. The movies, yeah, some, some, some merit. And then the thing is, you also understand that. Certain movies of a certain caliber that deserve to be kind of like I would say recognized for its effort or its achievement, right? Okay, one movie I want to bring up is Goddamn Captain Fantastic, like one of my, also one of my favorite movies of last year, up there with Sing Street, like the Viggo Mortensen movie about him and his hipster family living out in the mm-hmm. forest, trying to like you know reacquaint themselves with civilization and like what modern society is. So like, you think this film should have at least got a nomination? To me, right? it's a big snub that this didn't even get any recognition for. Uh, so for, I don't even say best picture, but at least maybe best screenplay or best like best actor. Like Viggo Mortensen put on quite a clinic, you know. Like he played like, I would say I believed him as a father struggling to come to terms with the death of his wife and trying to keep his family unit together and trying to sit like uh, how you say ascertain his certain moral standing. But also at the same time, understanding that his children need to develop and need to interact with people outside of their, how you say, close community. I mean, why? Why would they ignore something as good as Captain Fantastic? Why would they ignore something like Sing Street, like which had some amazing songs, and you gave two nominations to bloody <laughs> La La Land? Oh. <laughs> I mean, but okay, I, I, I think the purpose of this entire episode is like, is this is not a new thing. This is not. This just has been happening for quite year. a while. This yeah. has been happening for quite a while, and then this is probably one of the best things. Like like film fans, especially guys like us who like who love movies and love talking about movies. I mean, we can just go back in time and just bring up like how how did this movie get nominated, and even worse, how did it beat this other movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can actually just go back in time, uh, thanks to the magic magical powers of IMDb and Wikipedia. Uh, we have to actually look at who won. I, I mean, and you, not. what you're trying to say is our extensive film knowledge. <laughs> oh, right, right. Oh, sorry. It's not I as if we research this. Secret. This is all oh. coming straight off the top of the dome. Yeah, because we're such film fans. Call <clears throat> comedian at the Oscars, the saddest man of all. May make millions, but your name they'll never call. I guess you don't like laughter, and a smile brings you down. A comedian at the Oscars is the saddest, bitterest 
Do you want to go straight to the 50s or do you want to go to a period which we're more familiar with, which is the 70s? I want to go all the way back to, to me, probably was... Uh, this the, is first, th- the first one? The first Oscar? <laughs> which one? Birth of a Nation? I can't remember. That was back in the 20s. Yo. It is probably the Birth of a Nation or Wizard of Oz. Oh no, Wizard of Oz was much more younger but, than the first. No way, yeah. I mean, the Oscars has been around for a while. I mean, like, if you look at the actual title, it's not the 2016 to 2017. It's like the 1890s. Oh, no. <laughs> The, the the first Oscar apparently was in was for movies in twenty seven and nineteen twenty eight. God damn right. The Wings, <laughs> Wings was the movie that won the award. Like when you when your parents were barely a glimmer in the eye of your yes. grandparents. <laughs> but I would say like okay you know what seeing as how we're a pop culture nerdy kind of website, let's talk about nineteen seventy eight. Nineteen seventy eight. The year Sorry, I'm doing the I'm doing the Wayne's World. Sound, so. <laughs> that should have won an Oscar too, <laughs> for best adapted screenplay from an SNL skit. I guess. Yeah, exactly. that, that should be a category. Yeah. Okay, but I want to talk about 1978. Uh, let's. I want to debate you on this. 1978. Annie Hall beats Star Wars for best picture. <laughs> The 1978 Oscars. Okay. Hmm. So I'm. Is I'm Annie very Hall a superior film? <laughs> I know you like Woody, Woody, Woody Allen stuff. Uh, were you about to say Woody Harrelson? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that. Yes, yes, that is true. Slip of the tongue. But I like, I like some of his movies. But I don't know. Star Wars was monumental for me. I mean, even though I did not watch it during that time, I mean, obviously I wasn't born at that time. I but, wasn't born yet either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was monumental in how it would shape our visage of movies and stuff. But I would say this, right? Like the thing is, I saw Star Wars before I saw Annie Hall because I I didn't have the maturity level or the access to a film like Annie Hall. Like Annie Hall was a movie I managed to catch maybe in my late teens when I started becoming more of a film fan. Like I was like, especially when I discovered Woody Har- uh Woody Harrelson. My turn. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Woody from Toy Story. Woody, how many Woodies are? There? God damn it! No, the, my introduction to Woody Allen would be movies like uh Bananas. Uh, would be what was that one where it's like. It was all about sex. Shit, I can't remember. Ugh. But as everybody would say, his early funny era, and then he started to become this like you know he it's like he's got these periods where he'll find a muse. Like at at one point it was like Scarlett Johansson, and before that it was like Diane Keaton or something, right? So Eddie Hall, I watched much later with a much more mature thinking or with a much more uh, clear understanding of filmmaking and storytelling. Now, granted, when you watch Star Wars as a kid fantastic movie you watch it yep. as a teenager still good when you watch it as an adult why, why can't they top this why, why, why are the prequels so bad you know I mean that's your train of thought yeah yeah exactly and then I watch a movie like Annie Hall and I think is this better than Star Wars and like 
yeah <laughs> it's smart it's funny you know it's got like probably some of my favorite scenes of all time and i think like the chemistry between like uh like you know the, the two leads was like really strong and it's like this was a time when i was developing my uh how you say it's like i was getting to know i was getting to i was starting to talk to girls i was mm. trying to understand dating i was like there, there were a lot of questions that I had and films like any hall answered them for me like oh this is, is you you got to treat them like people you got to like you know yeah. talk to them like you got to try and find common interests things like that and it's like a movie like any hall to me now it's it like it's like a perfect icebreaker or like you know a, a great way to like start a conversation like did you see any hall did you like it did you know yeah, it beat yeah, star yeah. wars <laughs> 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 but i mean like okay but not in, tr- in, in in that logic if it's one that actually shaped your taste in film yeah that 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 that, that is actually a really legitimate point to bring up i mean it, both it, of it, these it, movies shape my star taste wars. in film i mean it does deserve to beat star wars it's a superior film in terms of storytelling in terms of characters i mean like of course like han solo is a one note character he's some roguish thuggish smuggler guy and like i mean it's basically the hero's journey but they do it really well in the sci-fi setting and plus you can tell like after watching that and then you watch rashomon you watch seven samurais yojimbo and all those other movies and the hidden fortress the hidden fortress the hidden fortress you know that there's some similarity with star wars similarity is this is straight It's it's a carbon copy. I mean, I mean, everybody knows that. But like, carbon. <laughs> here's what I want to say, right? Like, uh, not totally a travesty, and any hall deserves to beat Star Wars. And the thing is, right? You also have to like think, right? This there's a generation of people who think Star Wars is a superior film to any hall, and then their logic will be like, oh, but you know, any hall doesn't have special effects. It doesn't have, it doesn't create a u- universe. It doesn't have you know spaceships that fly. It doesn't have the Death Star trench battle at the end. But you know, I mean, it's like what I want to say is this. All our arguments are kind of subjective, but at the same time, but they're mostly right. We're mostly right because <laughs> we know what we're talking about. Okay, so here's the thing. I want to start with probably one of the earliest travesties of my knowledge of my understanding because okay, this happened in the '90s during the 63rd uh, Academy Awards. Okay. Okay. Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas for Best Picture. <laughs> Oh my! What the fuck, man? And the thing is, uh, right, I've seen the, both these yeah. movies. I saw the, and I still don't understand how did Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas? <laughs> It's so overblown. Goodfellas was a superior film, but yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, even speaking of snubs, right? This is like the start of the Martin Scorsese snub that would be a running joke all the way up till The Departed. Yeah. Where he never won like best director for the longest time, right? And even some of his films, right? Like, I, I don't know. Did Raging Bull win? I can't remember. Maybe, maybe. Raging Bull did not win. It was nominated, but it didn't win. No, but it, like maybe in his like uh, uh, late nineties, early two thousands career, where he was like just churning out like epic movies, like freaking uh, Aviator, like The Departed, and like just constantly not winning <laughs> you know, becomes a running joke to itself. Which we can date back all the way to this when Kevin Costner beat. Martin Scorsese, serious. I think this is where Kevin Costner got his hubris and ends up doing these other films. I think of the world. No, I think it was Postman. Robin Hood before. Or after this, I think Robin Hood was after. I remember Robin Hood was after. It was after Dances with Wolves. Like he got yes, his Oscar, then he decided to try and be a filmmaker or something. Right? He did Postman. He did. Uh, no, he didn't do Postman. Postman was much later. He did something. He did Waterworld. Doctor World was much later, and uh, I don't know. But like you know, I mean, it's nice to see that he's still working. Like we last saw him in Hidden Figures, and before that he was in Be- Batman vs Superman. Like uh, you know, 
very meh movies for me. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Do you, do you think Dances with Wolves deserve to win? No, it does not. <laughs> I just felt it was a bit overblown. Like it just okay. I watched it the first time again when I was young. I did not really care for it too much. But then again, I wasn't that mature of mine. Mm. But later on, when I watched it, like two, three years later, I still thought it was. Meh, you know, this is just okay. I think this. I still, pre- I still yeah. prefer like the the intensity and the dialogue from Goodfellas. Even Godfather Part Three, as overblown as it was Do compared that. to the past two films, uh-huh. it was actually I kind of like the heaviness of it. It was much more than that. It was that's a terrible worst. movie. <laughs> it wasn't terrible. Was it okay, compared to Power oh, yeah, was terrible. Right. Yes. Oh it was God. a terrible sequel, but by itself, it's okay. Godfather Part Three came out the same year as Goodfellas and Dusty Rules. Yeah. Oh. But but yeah, Goodfellas was a superior film. No, obviously. Really. Like okay, like the thing is right. Many memorable moments, many memorable scenes, amazing choice of song. You know, like the score, like th- that scene when like they were discovering all the dead bodies and it was playing through the coda of uh, uh, Eric Clapton's yes. Layla. You know, just that piano, and then you you just seeing like all these dead bodies and like the way it was framed, or even like when you saw the like that slow pan to like Robert De Niro and like Sunshine yep, of yep. Your Love is being played. I mean, the music was amazing. But Martin Scorsese knows how to cut things to music. Yeah, like, just when the appropriate times. Yes, the acting so, was amazing. Like freaking when Robert De Niro discovered Joe Pesci, like, dude. Joe Pesci. Oh, <laughs> you think I'm funny, huh? Am I caught you? Do I amuse you? That scene, like he's. Joe Pesci intense, is yo. the most terrifying man I've ever seen. Terrifying, funny-looking man I've seen. <laughs> and this was before Home Alone. <laughs> you know, and then, but the thing is, also, props to Ray Liotta. Like, his yes. his journey from young man to gangster to eventually... I mean, spoilers for a movie that you all should have seen by now. Yeah. You know, but like, just his turn when he decides that, you know, for the sake of his life and his wife and you know, his very existence, you know, he's gonna turn on the mafia. And it's like... Yeah. I mean, like, so many memorable lines, so many memorable performances, uh, so many memorable, like, you know, deaths, you know? But then it, I can't remember anything from Dances with Wolves except for that one scene where they're trying to understand each other's language and then, like, you know, Kevin Costner discovers the word Tatanka and he, like, act, like puts, like, something on his back and he's, like, pretending to be, like, a bison. Like, that's the only thing I remember. I don't remember anything else from Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Okay, but, okay, tell you what. Let's keep was Last of the Mohicans? Yeah, that was. Was that even nominated? Because I lo- that was a much better film. The one with Daniel in terms Day of Lewis? like that whole. Yeah. I can't remember. Was it the same year? No, yeah, I don't know. Probably later on though. But that was a better movie about. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was based on a book, but it's still, it was still a good Native American film. Okay, but yeah. tell you what, let's go a year later. Okay, another travesty. Silence of the Lambs. No, that no, was no, a no. good film, dude. I'm talking about the 64th Academy Awards. Or was it? Was it? Or was it the year after that? Okay, I'm sorry, but I want to talk about the year Forrest Gump won Best Picture and beat The Shawshank Redemption and Pulp Fiction. Ah, uh, you're talking about the '67th show. Oh my bad. Was that the '67th? Uh, yeah, yeah, but that was a big. Uh, okay. To be fair, when I was watching Forrest Gump the first time, I was actually enamored by it. Then, of course, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, followed after that. I think. They had equal footing, but I do wish either Shawshank Redemption won out because the bond between brothers was actually better than uh, a Academy Award actor trying to act like a retard. 
<laughs> I don't know. Or or, or a simple, uh, a simple country hick. No, no. I don't. I think retard's a strong word. More like a simple hick. Are you trying to be? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Last scene podcast being insensitive as usual. Oh well, but I would say this is right. Okay, as much as I enjoyed Forrest Gump the first time I saw it, then I saw Shawshank Redemption and like, oh god, like the scene where um, any any scene where you see freaking like what's that guy's name again? Ah. Oh. Morgan Freeman was it? In the Shawshank? white guy. What's his name? Oh, uh, Tim Robbins. Tim, Tim Robbins. Robbins. Shit. Yeah, he was like one of my favorite actors of that era. Like when he yeah. when he did Bob Roberts. Was it? Was the that presidential movie? I think so. He was yeah. also in the Hot Sucker Proxy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You know, like I'm a huge fan of Tim Robbins, and the thing is, like, just that scene of him cra- crawling through a mile of shit just yes. to escape the prison and like that, that and that then move. when he had that stare down with Clancy Brown that was intense dude and, and, you, and, get, and, you get the shit bitten out of him and putting it nicely <laughs> do you trust your wife <laughs> we could get work so much better if you had a couple of suds you know like I yeah. mean Shawshank Redemption I get why IMDB and like the fan and like and the people on IMDB constantly I mean there was a point of time where it was Voted the number one movie of all time for like for the longest time, right? It was it had the, the longest streak on IMDb, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And now, then, not to say that Forrest Gump did not deserve the Oscar, but I don't know. It did, I felt that watching it again is like more. Yeah, I feel that Spielbergian. No, sorry, not Spielbergian. Um, Zemeckis that sort of whimsy. The Zemeckis whimsiness mm. to it that kind of rubbed off from Spielberg. Spielberg at the time, I don't know, but I felt that Shawshank Redemption hit hit me harder because that's something you can refer to in like real life like it's really hard to find friends especially when you're at that age whereas a life story for Forrest Gump right place right time kind of guy so you did not would, age well for me lah you would have chosen Shawshank over Forrest Gump I would I would and in the and in the aspect Pulp Fiction too as well because it was trying something really new a bunch of stories that sort of connect but not really did not connect with in- enticing characters and great dialogue I mean, and, sh- and, and really memorable quotes like don't take the lord's name in vain or you know putting the bible <laughs> I wreak vengeance upon the Lord from Samuel L. Jackson, right? Remember? What? You don't remember the Ezekiel speech? Come on, man. I shall <laughs> dude, it's a while, bring dude. down it's been a while, dude. <laughs> and my name is the Lord as I bring down vengeance. I do remember that scene with uh, anger. <laughs> I d- and you'll know my name. My name is the Lord. My name is the Lord. Yeah. I'm going to take away your, your nerd credibility right now. How could you not quote the Ezekiel I do, speech? I do remember <laughs> Christopher Walken shoving his watch up his ass but he did not know about it until he actually mentioned it that wasn't his that watch. Was, that, was, that was that was his know, my father's yes. watch my father's watch and you know where i hit it i mean like come on everybody will super quote like the scene in the car where it's like well, what do they call a big mac in france you know well, they just call it a big mac you know you know what they call a quarter pounder a royale with cheese royale with cheese like some of the like some of the freshest like most uh inventive like dialogue ever and then like, i mean granted it's like this is Paul, uh, This is uh, Tarantino's second film. Like he did Reservoir Dogs before that, which like you know got the cult status, which got the buzz. Then he drops. I blame it on my failing memory for not remembering these things <laughs> it's okay. on a piece of paper, and yet somehow I can quote like the up, up down, down. <laughs> uh, but up, I'm, down I'm, I'm saying this like I would have picked Pulp Fiction over those two movies. I mean, as as much as I enjoyed Shawshank Redemption, and as much as I'm not really a fan of the schmaltzy kind of uh, person overcoming the odds kind of movie. I mean the action. I mean the acting, the dialogue, the storytelling, fantastic. I mean like, it's it's not a a genre pick, but at the same time it it, it elevated to a whole new level that is like, 
I understand why it should be one of the greatest movies of all time. I, I can watch that movie again and again. Yeah. You know? It does not get old, you know. I mean, nah, yeah, we all can relate to that story. But I mean, like for me, in terms of like, you know, uh, genre defining or breaking the the current template of filmmaking, or like, you know, yeah. just some, nothing, something, nothing new. too serious, something that's fun, but also yeah. I mean, I want to give it to Pulp Fiction too. for like taking like you know like French New Wave cinema style of like non-linear editing and like having stories told in segments and like forcing you to pay attention. And I mean, like nowadays with the current like uh, climate, like you know, kids nowadays just have really short attention spans. No, you give them a movie like Pulp Fiction, it might be very hard for them to follow. You know, no, but I don't time. think so, no. It's really easy to follow. Okay, again, that, that's the reason why I follow that style of filmmaking because it will cater to people who Have can't really stand through like a movie like a Ten Commandments or a movie back in the 80s where mm-hmm. editing was slightly longer. Movies, remember when movies used to have intermissions? Oh god. Yes. <laughs> uh, but okay, then, then again, um, I would say... I mean, what would another travesty be? Like, all I can think of is like maybe on the 69th Academy Awards, the English Patient won, won against Fargo and Jerry Maguire. <laughs> I don't know. Jerry Maguire was a feel-good Cameron Crowe kind of film. Fargo is probably one of, is one of my favorite Ethan and Joel Coen movies. Oh yeah, wow, English Patient that beat too. that. Oh wow, fuck. I would have been happy if either one, either Fargo or Jeremy Guy Did you won, did you see right? the English patient? It's basically just refines in the desert, like you know, trying to get around with his nurse, right? Yes, that's it. That's all <laughs> it is. Weren't there like movies in the sixties and seventies that did that? I don't know. I can't recall. Why do we need another one in the nineties? Well, we beat Fargo, huh? <laughs> that's horseshit, honestly. Dude, Frances McDormand, like in her defining role, I guess. Yeah, no one else will remember Frances McDormand in Transformers. I remember her in, <laughs> in yeah, Fargo, dude. I kind of remember her in Burn After Reading, but then again, that's just her working with her husband again. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't recall anything from English Patient, you know? But I still remember the phone call scene from freaking Jerry Maguire. Yeah. I, I still remember that little blonde kid. What was his name? Uh, Kevin Lipnicki or something, right? Lipnicki, yes, yes. Uh, you know, like just that scene where he's like, what, the human brain weighs eight pounds or something where he's like talking to Tom Cruise, right? Yeah, yeah that was good shit. <laughs> I remember and that. We I rementioned remember before Renee that Tom Zellweger. Cruise is a great guy if he's given the great great script with great circumstances. Yes, exactly. And if he's not insane, yeah. <laughs> well, and, like, he also had one of the best, like, you know, when he's leaving the office when he got fired but from Jay Moore. He was like, Okay. Yeah, yeah, and then he got Rinizu, so we're gonna follow him and stuff. Who's Alan coming with me? Huh? Everybody's thinking yeah. I'm gonna freak out and all that. Who's yeah, coming? that was so good. And she that brought her so fish good. and all that. I mean, like, that's the thing. The Jerry Maguire, extremely memorable film. Okay, one of the few yeah. occurrences where I actually enjoyed a Tom Cruise performance. But then again, Cuba Gooding Jr., he won the Oscar for that, if you recall. You know? And this yeah, yeah, the, yeah, I did, I did, yes. Yeah, and, that. like, before that, like, he, was, he put on a stellar performance in, like, Boys in the Hood. No, mm-hmm. but then he won for "Show Me the Money." He like, he's barely in the movie. Though. I mean, very memorable idea. He was the best supporting actor, actor maybe, but I don't know. Do you think he deserved the win for that? Jerry uh, Tom Cruise carried the entire film. You think so? Probably not. <laughs> probably not. All right, but okay. How about this? Uh, let's go to the seventy-first uh, Academy Awards, which is when Shakespeare in Love won against. Life, Life is, is beautiful, beautiful and saving, saving Private, Private Ryan. Ryan. Oh, dude! Two World uh, War Two movies lost to Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> yeah, the Thin Red Line and Saving Private Ryan. And also very like controversial. It was, it was in Shakespeare in Love, right? Where a Dame Judi Dench won her Oscar and for only appearing in the movie for like barely eight minutes or something, right? Mm-hmm. She was like hardly in it, and she won an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, Life is Beautiful should have won. I don't know what happened. But I think Roberto Benigni was it Benigni too Italian? Won. Was it too? 
well, I don't know. Was it? Yeah, was it too World War Two realistic compared no. to something that's glory glorifying like uh, Shakespeare in Love or something very grand grandstanding like Saving Private Ryan? No, but it should have won because if you think about it, right? World War Two movies, especially movies talking about the Holocaust, is the very definition of the Oscar bait movie. Yeah, you know, because yeah. this recently Hacksaw Ridge came out and did a World War Two movie. You know, okay, and granted, not in the European theater. It's like set here. It's set in the Jap in the what the the Asia Pacific theater against the Japanese. But they're like, why do they keep still making like World War Two movies? It's like, is it, is it cause the Call of Duty fans now can afford movie tickets? No, even the Call of Duty fans don't like fight in World War Two anymore. <laughs> I mean, like now they're in space. And then, like speaking of a World War Two movie, like I mean, I, as I said before, I didn't really enjoy Hacksaw Ridge. Why? Because like my brain still has memories of watching Saving Private Ryan, which to me should have won that year. Like Saving Private Ryan, as much as it's kind of bloated in certain areas and kind of like I, I would say the problem with Saving Private Ryan. It was is, still it was still a very heart wrenching, you know, like the the grand the grandier kind of movie that we would actually still remember. I know, like for me, my only problem with Saving Private Ryan is like the pacing is a little bit lopsided. I mean, like be, uh, was it Billy or Barry Pepper? Barry Pepper is the sniper, probably one of the most memorable. I think it's Barry Pepper. Yes. You know, like you see Vin Diesel in his debut performance, and he gets taken out very quickly. <laughs> yeah. And then also, especially Tom Hanks. You know, Tom Hanks playing the captain. Wow. You know, like I mean that my favorite scene was basically that moment when all of them were like, you know, recuperating, and they were asking each other what they did on the outside of the war. And Tom Hanks was like, "I'm a I'm a school teacher." <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, and I looked at that. Like, wow, look at that human. Look at that. Look at this perfect performance of a man. Outside of a situation that he can, he's coming to terms with, you know, yeah. and still, I mean, did Shakespeare in Love deserve to win? No, no. it did not. Did no. they deserve to get nominated? Probably. Okay, nominated, yeah. sure. Why sure, not? why not? Yeah, you know, you, you gotta put something in there. Sure, Shakespeare in Love. I mean, like, yeah. was this the one with Jeffrey Rush in it, right? I think Ben Affleck was also in Shakespeare in Love. If you're not mistaken, yeah. he played one of the characters. Another travesty I really want to get off my chest to. Mm-hmm. The 78th Academy Awards where Crash won. Ooh. I really love Good Light and Good Night and Good Luck. Oh, the in, George Clooney film, right? Picks. That was the one with Sandra Bullock, uh, Matt Dillon, as racist people, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Racist guys, sort of. Tandy really. Newton, uh, Terrence Howard, right? I yeah. think Ludacris was in it too, right? Ludacris? Ludacris? Oh, no, yes. wait, Chris Bridges. <laughs> Thank you, Chris Bridges. You gotta be proper. You know? <laughs> and the award goes to Ludacris. No, no, no. Yes. Chris Bridges. That's on the sad card, sir. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, that was Capone, which also deserves... Uh, Oh, was the one know, with Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? But yes, he yes. won the Oscar for that his performance of Capote right there. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah. It, I don't know. I, I think the film was all right. I mean, I recall yeah. like like Capote came out at a weird time where there was like two Capote movies. I think there was another mm, one, right? I did not know about the other one though. Was it the one that came out? Uh, I don't know. But I do feel Good Night, Good Luck. That was a good study in broadcast journalism. A good study in how how fucked up the media can be in a sense, despite... Although it was sort of sensationalized because of the the whole Pinkerton thing that happened, that mm. was sort of like made to to give sympathy to Ray Wise's character, if mm. I recall. Is this the, like, the movie that came out during the writer's strike, which is why it was so topical yeah. at the moment? Yeah, yeah. In a way, it was topical, but it also hammers home like how fucked up the whole broadcastualism can be because if you're getting paid by the guys who do the story and all that, sometimes you gotta just tell the stories how they want to see fit. But they're actually just breaking, breaking the, breaking the norm, which is a good study in that. 
all in the black and white color kind of filming technique too Dude, as well. I which, love this I, movie which I appreciate. So yeah, I mean, like when I saw it, right, and I saw like you know, I mean, I even like the little metaphors and the little thematic you know touches they did, like yep. when like the actual journalist or the reporter had to. Like what we guys do now, where we do the stinger, you know, advertisements, where he's talking yeah. about like you know cigarettes or something, right? You know. Yep, yep. Yeah, Movies so. like this is why I like to do podcasts like this or <laughs> produce these things. You know, we get to say what we want, but you know, make sure we do our do it right, yeah. do it well. You know. So yeah, that's what really bummed me out. I mean, Crash is a good movie. Don't get me wrong. It's just it's not a great movie. I would not say not super great as not Good Night and Good Luck. Better than Good Night and Good Luck, right? Yeah, I mean, like, definitely not. I mean, like as much as it's subjective, like you know, and it's like defined by the taste of movies. But the thing is, like I mean, we also need to also ascertain that there's a certain quality of movie that actually needs to be pushed forward a lot more. And yep. I would say, like you know, a movie like Crash felt too much like. Uh, I mean, like I think we also need to kind of. Def- it's like it's a, it's like a lot of like cooks spoiling the broth. Like the stories don't seem that cohesive, despite the fact that there's still racism being touched on, which is good. I, but the thing is, I actually like Sandra Bullock's plight more and Matt Dillon's plight more. If they had more of uh, Matt Dillon's side, a bit more focus, then I wouldn't mind it so much. But everyone else's story was like, oh, it's leading to that ending. Okay, sure. I just felt I just felt a bit incomplete watching this. Like, nothing gets resolved. But maybe that's the point of the film, in a sense, where racism is going to be a thing, despite whether you want a happy ending or not. But, but the thing is about Crash I mean it's the same thing it's the same way I feel about movies like Traffic but movies like Babel you know where it's like multi-stories trying to kind of be one cohesive uh, linear kind of uh, but the experience. thing is I felt ba- Babel had more closure than Crash and that was a later movie lah, so can't be helped but. Uh, I mean, but my problem with Crash is basically it's the very definition of Oscar bait where they have these like themes of racism themes of uh, just like people you know like how do you say having a very topical kind of like Oh, I don't like you. You don't like me, and like it's so templatey. I don't know. I mean, like say a movie that came out this year, like something like Hidden Figures, where like I've seen this movie before. Because if you're a fan of yeah. movies, like you've all seen the movie of, the- and it follows a template. You're right. Yeah, you told you know, me this before, right? Yeah. yeah, but at the same time, it's like I get why Crash would be nominated. Plus, it's a well-crafted film. It looks very well put together. Mm-hmm. As lopsided as it is, or as like I would say, uneven. I mean, it was. I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree that it's like uncohesive but I would also say like like if you just cut out one of the stories and then you just focus on these bunch of characters and you just really flesh them out you could have had something even more compelling to tell perhaps perhaps yeah but okay tell you what, I mean but this was a very special era of the Oscars because I mean like I would say we should I want to kind of like bridge into the next topic I mean not say like, the next topic do you want to go like 10 years late like Three four years later, when it's like the eighty second Oscar. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like the thing is, we wrote this episode around uh kind of this moment in time because yeah. like in two thousand ten, was it two thousand ten or two thousand eleven? Okay, two thousand ten. The eighty second Oscars, right? The big deal was like they expanded the nominees, the, the nominations list. I mean, it used to be originally three films or four films or even five films. Now we have animated films inside. I know. Now we have Avatar. 10, <laughs> ten films. Okay, like it was a very I wouldn't even say monumental or like you know uh, it wasn't such a big deal but the thing is I, if you understand how the industry works it's just basically more people getting to campaign to put their movies in this list for for a, a fake prestige I mean let's just be super honest about it it's just people 
in the industry telling each other like okay you, you, here, okay you, they're you, patting themselves on the back you get yeah. to put this like logo on your poster now okay go and resell your movie you know what i mean and like the audience in, like the there, criterion collection hey the something. criterion collection when the, their ability to remaster get director's commentaries deleted scenes like, don't you diss the criterion collection bro <laughs> <laughs> okay that to me is the dream i would rather be on the criterion collection than be in an oscar like not nominated film or anything well put well put okay because in the criterion collection i'm in the same category as movies like seven samurai brazil uh freaking repo man <laughs> freaking yeah. flesh for frankenstein now that's a list <laughs> gonna touch on brazil later on but for now the hurt locker won on the 82nd academy awards beating beating out avatar Avatar, beating out district nine inglorious bastards ah sure whatever (laughs) precious 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 um, up up (laughs) yeah here's the question there's 10 of these movies right okay and back Mm -hmm. in the day like when we were researching this like when we were looking at movies from the 70s and 80s like freaking like that Oscar year was stacked like those five movies are fucking phenomenal and then in 2010 The Hurt Locker was like okay Catherine Bigelow did a pretty good job you know you know, shout outs to the to the woman who made Point Break she did this too and then her ex-husband Mr. Terminator himself Mr. Abyss Mr. I can make a movie just like once a year because Titanic is taking care of me forever <laughs> yep yep he decided to push uh, uh, the, the cinema going experience with his 3D extravaganza avatar okay and speaking of which Tarant- is alright which yeah. is alright and then yeah. speaking of Tarantino he delivered in Glorious Bastards which introduced the world to Mr. Christoph Waltz one of my favorite European actors ever he's, 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 <laughs> he's, he, he, car- he carries the film but yes. I don't remember anything else that I give a shit about in Glorious Bastards apart from Christoph Waltz that's it yeah but he was the star of the show I mean like the thing is it, it, I know I know but dude compared to Pulp Fiction compared to Django Unchained I don't know it's again you prefer Django one act- to Inglorious? I do, I did. Because wow. we had like two, three people who I gave a shit about compared to Inglourious Bastards, but I only gave a shit about one guy. Christoph Waltz, that's it. That's yeah, it, that's I, I, it. I would say Inglourious Bastards, the, the side story of the, the French uh, cinema owner was a little bit not interesting. Hmm. But at the same time, I mean, like, it kind of like... I, I would say Inglourious Bastards is not better than Hurt Locker. But I would say it was one of like Tarantino's best written films. But me. for me, I'm yeah, very, very indifferent about this particular Oscar period because at the time I was watching movies outside of that scope, mm-hmm. like like when I was in the 80s as well, watching movies outside of this nomination scope. I don't know, maybe because I was playing more games at the time, or maybe I was <laughs> doing more reviews for 
I, if there's one film I'd rather watch is like this and that rather than although District 9 was alright I guess but would but, it be safe to say that this was the moment where you realised that the Oscars was pretty much like an industry award and like whether whatever won it was more really like a circle up. jerk it felt more like a circle jerk than an actual award show yeah, when you think I, about I mean, it it's quite I, I, I do understand like you know it could be quite masturbatory to say like oh I'm Oscar nominated Oscar winning but at the same time yeah. I would also like I'm like but there isn't any true I mean besides Cannes or the Palme d'Or or like, like I don't know the yeah. Berlin Film Festival yeah, thank, thank god those shows are around because we need more <laughs> of this kind of award shows that actually enlighten no, us about other more is not an award indie films show. It's a festival. It's okay not sorry festival festival why <laughs> do I keep calling it an award show damn it festival yeah, but that, that's also the thing because the thing is we also have to realise the Oscars are an awards show they need to get certain movies up there they need to create certain conversations they need to get the audience hyped and start arguing with each other start trolling each other why yeah, because and they, then making making like a bets of who's gonna win this and that you know, because Oscar they want bets. people to watch the awards show because they need yeah. to get the advertising money guys come on you know how the word, this all works yeah, yeah. <laughs> so why are you getting so amped up that La La Land should be the best movie ever made no it's not <laughs> you know it deserves the Oscar sure all of them deserves Oscar the Academy can't just give 10 best pictures if they want to but no they have to make but it anyway there was also the 83rd at academy awards where i realized okay this is still well, the one next year yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, end. Uh, the one man. where the king's speech won yeah fuck the king's speech was a boring ass movie man. it was okay it but yeah we, it got boring yeah come on you've got black swan you've got social network inception and you got true grit true grit was actually really good the, oh the yeah the, the, the remake the, with Jeff the Bridges the revenge film yeah <laughs> Jeff the, 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 the revenge his, remake yeah. that to me would be the movie with that's what Jeff Bridges sounds like from now yes. on <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean Hell and High Water how do you think Jeff Bridges became a sheriff because of this fucking movie damn it you think it wasn't R.I.P.D <laughs> no no it was this one it was this one <laughs> and you think that's how Ryan Reynolds got Deadpool because R.I.P.D was a piece of shit yeah <laughs> no but okay yeah Ryan Reynolds I could do better <laughs> Oh, he can definitely do better. I mean, yeah, look, yeah. the guy convinced himself he could do better even though he played Deadpool twice, you know what I mean? Yeah. But again, King's Speech beating out Social Network, which was, I mean, I won't say it's topical in a sense, but it was a well-put-together film about betrayal, dude. About how how real technology is created because of people backstabbing the shit out of each other, which rings true up till now, alright? That's why I felt, I felt strongly for Social Network a lot more. Uh, there's another movie in existence that I feel tells that similar story way better. Mm. Which is the Pirates of Silicon Valley? Have nah, Social it? Network did it much better. Uh, I mean, different, no, different, man. different, uh, <laughs> different disagree. ways of telling this. <laughs> no, different ways of telling the backstabbing story. But I felt Social Network. <laughs> I don't know. It just felt like I was in the right with Andrew. Uh, what's that? Eduardo. But at the same time, Spider Man. Yeah, <laughs> fuck man. <laughs> <laughs> it's Spider Man and Lex Luthor in the movie. <laughs> and I think it edges out over uh, Pirates because it had a better soundtrack for me. Really. Yes, it had a better soundtrack. Trent Reznor, Hall the Mountain King stuff. Even the intro music, so that was really good shit. Dude. I thought it was okay, man. It's no downward spiral if you, you want uh, Nothing can beat downward spiral, dude. <laughs> nothing can beat it. But it was still... I still think it's, be- I still think it's better than Pirates. Mm. So, like, okay, let's talk about 2011. King's Speech definitely shouldn't have won. You would have yeah. chosen Social Network over True Grit, Inception, The Fighter, Black Swan. Yes. Really? Yes. My choice would have been maybe basically Black Swan. I think Black Swan should have won. Like Natalie Black Portman. Swan was strong. I, I was still. I mean, it was a close call for me. But yeah, Social Network for me, dude. I mean, to me, it was more like uh, 
Like Black Swan Nebula is like Darren Aronofsky kind of redeeming himself. Like this is the guy who gave us Requiem for a Dream and Pie, and right. And then he came and he did Noah. And then he did Noah, which is like all right. <laughs> like what happened to you? Golems, bro? golems for the win. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it happened in the Bible. This is all true. It was written down. Oh god. Oh, um, we're not. Well, let's not go back to that again. But yeah, yeah, it was good. Black Swan was definitely Oscar worthy. That I will agree with you. But you shouldn't have won. You would have given it to Social Network. Yeah, I also give it to Social Network. Mm. Oh well, okay. I, I see where you're coming from. I mean, I'm a fan of Fincher's work, but then like to me, Fincher. Yeah, Finch, Finch, Finch can do not much. I'm wrong. more of a fan of his earlier style, where it's a little like bit seven, more choppy. Yeah. Like there are definitely Seven, Fight Club, and all that. Like to me, like. Anything after Zodiac is like uh, I'm not say I'm not say I hated his his new kind of more uh, I would say not even down to earth a uh, more subdued style of filmmaking where it's like but then like he lights everything so dark <laughs> like, I kind of I kind of appreciate the subdueness of it maybe that's why I'm kind of leading to that mm. like I see Seven okay great film and then I see his evolution in like doing other stuff Fight Club and. Zodiac. Actually, I kind of like Zodiac a lot more. Maybe that's when I started like appreciating his work a lot more when he did Zodiac. I mean, like to me, so the documentary, but not. I mean, okay, it is actually a documentary. It's real life stuff. But it's, it's, Robert Downey uh, Jr. really good in that. Jake Gyllenhaal good in that. Mike Ruffalo was also a yeah. yeah, Mark Ruffalo. Thank you. Yes. Uh, but I mean, no. I, the problem with me, like, like Fincher now is like what Cronenberg used to be to me. Like Cronenberg had his amazing like early era, and then now he's like kind of like toned down and like decided to be more of a story driven filmmaker less mm-hmm. effects driven whereas like Fincher to me was like he was an amazing I would say um, editor like like the way he cuts his movies and the way he paced things and the way like he would like craft his scenes like his montage was like like so fresh and new and now he's becoming like a very I would say traditional filmmaker like mm-hmm. wasn't Fincher the guy who did the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo remake yes he did that he did that I, I wasn't a fan like, the thing is like the new Fincher, I actually haven't watched that one so you haven't seen the remake huh? <laughs> nah nah not uh, that good huh it's alright it's good I mean I would say um, it's like if you saw the ring and you saw the ring like Ringu and you saw the ring it's like it feels like that like oh it's a very uh, commendable effort and it do- yeah. it doesn't elevate or bring anything new but at the same time it retells the story you know in a way that is like um, I would say close to the the, net, the, the director's like uh, ambition I would say that you know I mean I like the remake I mean but I think a lot of people will a lot of people will just be like, oh, the book was better. Like, fuck the book, man. <laughs> okay. But I want to bring this whole home, you know, like, we've already talked about the big snubs, but the biggest one was probably for the 1985, the year of 1985. So, like, yeah, I think I'll, I, I, maybe let's preface this. Where the fuck was Brazil among all this shit? Like, what? we've got Out of Africa being nominated as the best film of 1985. What else became for the 1985? What beat? No. Out of Africa is the one that won, right? Yeah, out of Africa won. Yes, oh, man. it, and then there was the color purple. There was Kiss of the Spider Woman, woman which is good, which was good. Mm-hmm. Prizzy's Honor and Witness, which you said it was so it was a really good film. I loved all these movies, but the thing is, right, Brazil. Where the fuck was Brazil? Hands I know. down, best movie ever made. Yeah. Okay, for all you Last King fans who are reading the IMDb list and not sure, like you know, this is Terry Gilliam's at his best. Yes, at, at, at his, his best. best. Post Python before he. Turned yeah. into like the guy who made what was it uh the the Anderson Henderson brothers was it uh, uh Wes Anderson was it no no, no uh, Hans Christian uh, I forgot it's like that movie with Heath Ledger and Matt Damon where they were like uh, uh the Doctor Parnassus film right no no before that like I mean, the thing is as I said before like there's a lot of filmmakers who have errors 
Now Terry Gilliam, this was during his imagination era, like Ooh. coming off of Jabberwocky and Time Bandits, and he Ooh, dropped my Brazil. God, yes. <laughs> you know, like he was dropping bombs, yo. I mean, Jabberwocky, like, true, it doesn't age very well. Time Bandits, you show it to any kid, look, the the spark of imagination and the cast, and like you know, and then Brazil is <laughs> like to me. You can take your Citizen Kane. You can take your Godfather. You can take your Shawshank Redemption. To yeah. me, Brazil is the greatest movie ever made because it and has the biggest snub ever. And the, the biggest, biggest snub ever because the thing is, it was very obvious he was fighting with the studios about the cut of his movie. I mean, you mentioned the Criterion Collection. Yep. Get the Criterion Collection of Brazil. Watch the documentary about the Battle of Brazil about how he had to campaign yeah. to get his director's cut out there because this movie has very is very famous for having three different endings, three different endings which change not only the story but the uh, the, the emotion, the pace, the flow, everything. It's like yeah. you mean like this the Love Conquers All edition, which like a lot of people would have seen on TV, where it's the happy ending version. And then yeah. there's the true ending version, which is probably one of the most soul-crushing endings of yeah, all time. Yeah, it was the saddest thing ever. But you know, that was how it was. It was that the was... perfect ending to that, you know? Because it's like, if you were to look at the three movies as a trilogy, you have like Jabberwocky, where it is like, you know, you're facing the nightmare of the unknown, of the fantasy mm-hmm. world, going beyond the looking glass. Then you have Time Bandits, which is the adventure, the excitement. Uh, having like, you know, the things that are beyond your understanding, kind of like, you know, be... I would say it's just the, the wonder and the splendor. And then you yep, have Brazil, yep. where it's the emotion, the heart, and the pain, and like the humanity. And mm-hmm. like probably like, you know, Robert De Niro at one of his most amazing performances. A very yeah, yeah, really, really good sub- role. Yeah. Very subtle Harry Tuttle, or Buttle, yeah. depending on, you know. Harry Tuttle. <laughs> and, and like, I'll go with Tuttle. One of my favorite you know, one-liners of all time, we're in this together, you know. Mm. And fucking Jonathan Price, you know, as the lead character. Yeah, Mr. yeah. He, he, he was meek. He tries to break through the system, and he God God knows he tried. He tried, but uh, I like to see his journey. You know, in and, this and, film, like just this normal nobody bureaucrat who who dreams, who has fantasies, who yeah. decides to go on this adventure. And and the thing is, like the harsh moments of realism that just step in and smash your perception of yeah. who are the good guys, who are the bad guys. Is the bureau are the bureaucrats wrong? Is the government wrong? Is Sam Lowry just insane, you know. And the thing is, uh, and the amazing use of like wide-angle lenses for close-ups and just oh, how yeah. everything became so surreal and how everything and also like, very tense too, very very weird. But that's the whole yeah. point of it. You wanted to, you want to be uncomfortable in that sense too. I mean, like the, uh, Brazil is like Terry Gilliam showing off his Fellini influence to the max. You know, just like oh, yeah. capturing like the dream sequences and capturing like the the story sequences. This is like before he went nuts with uh, the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Oh yeah, I think Bunchausen would be part of the the, the imagination trilogy. I think Jabberwocky is. Oh. I'm not. Oh, I'm not too sure about the trilogy, but I do know that he he no, went no. balls out with the Baron. <laughs> but Baron Munchausen was before Brazil, I think. No, no, no. It was after Brazil. It was after Brazil. It was after Brazil. Well, I think it was basically him just lightening up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, Brazil's so depressing. I'm gonna make things bright now. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I was trying to say. I mean, why wasn't it nominated? Probably because. Members. It was too depressing, I guess. <laughs> nah, I mean, everybody knows. I mean, I don't even say everybody knows, but this is my theory. Is because he had so much problem. He made so much problems with the studios and the executives, right? That they couldn't. They wouldn't campaign for it to be best picture. Simple as that. Mm. You know, that that's the thing. Yeah. It's like it's not always about the merit of your film. It's about who it's you always know, about how how good friends you are, or who, who you are you in the industry, and like you know, basically, yeah. you know, where you where you are in the food chain that is the Oscars or like yeah. you know the Academy. 
It's a sad fact of life, but uh, what are you gonna do, dude? Yeah, unless I mean, someone, unless unless there's a movie or a bunch of studio guys who are gonna break the system, or which is why we're glad we have stuff like Cannes or Toronto Film Festivals, all that. Yeah, the Oscars might have to change up their tune, I guess. Maybe you know what I thought would have or been may not. the new defining uh, award for film. What? At a time, it, it, it was Rotten Tomatoes before they got bought over. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> was like even though it's a it's a very unfair metric where it's just an average, you know, something that Metacritic like is doing like you know leaps and bounds. But this is like filmmakers around the world. Like I mean, not just uh, film critics. My bad. Yeah. And then like no like even fucking Roger Ebert would be on the Rotten Tomatoes list of like films. He yeah yeah. You know, and like for a time like even right now nowadays when people complain like oh you only got twenty percent of Rotten Tomatoes you do know that Rotten Tomatoes is owned by Warner Brothers right? <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is but props to Warner Brothers for still allowing their movies to get shitty reviews. <laughs> I mean you see Batman versus Superman. The Suicide Squad whatever like oh yeah, one of the yeah. lowest like oh we should. Yeah. Bad. Remember that there was this one time some guy was like, "We need to take down Rotten Tomatoes because they're shooting on Warner Brothers yeah. movies. They own and, it." <laughs> and I think with that we can sort of end our travesty episode. Yeah, you want to end it? I mean, like, okay, tell you what, Last King fans. At the, yeah, at the I end of the day, is the Oscars relevant? Maybe, nah, maybe I don't not. Think so. I mean, like, I mean, it's nice. It's nice to have an award show once in a while. Yeah, it's the same exactly. as like. It's like the Miss Universe pageant, you know, like oh, we see pretty girls. All right, it's know? there. It's nice. Is Miss India? It's the not the be all end all. No, no. Yeah, it's not the be all end all, but it's nice to have, you know. I'm okay. Nice to have it. Tell you what, last King fans, uh, we've gone through not, not I mean not a lot of travesties. Uh, that's probably travesties we missed out on, or we totally we didn't ignore, but we probably that's have probably going to be another hour or another sequel. We're gonna have to. We do. we we, we yeah. might maybe for the next Oscars. We'll yeah. see. But I would say like no, please. Tell us, let us know. You know, talk to us on our Twitter. Talk to us on our yeah, Facebook. Yeah. You know, which was which Oscar? Okay, which Academy Award Oscar? What was the biggest snub? Yeah. What was the, the biggest snub? snub? Yes, the biggest snub. And or even better, what was the most undeserving Oscar win of all time? Yeah, yeah. You which know? movies do you feel that should have been nominated <laughs> or awarded for that year? Yeah, but I mean, okay. I'll tell you what. Uh, I think this would cap off our Oscar season episode. Or should we do the trilogy? <laughs> uh, I think having it uh, part two. Like a duology? Yeah. A duology is fine? A duology is good. A duology is good. Yeah. So, so hit us up on thelastthing.net. Hit us up on iTunes and SoundCloud. Put our comments, you know. you know. Yeah, Give us some love. Talk, if you want to get uh, an immediate response, uh, talk to us on Twitter at LastKingPodcast. Okay, we also yes. have an Instagram at LastKingPodcast. But um, I would say, you know what? We're going to end the movie run for a while. I think we're going to go back to video games, right? right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, think, I, think you, I think you're due to play Neo and I'm due to play Yakuza. How about and I, that? And I, okay, you know what? I promise. Maybe we should do that. I should do, I should do my Resident Evil review. Yeah. Yes, you should. You should. Yes. Okay, so I think uh, that's that for today. Uh, we are going to be signing out. So to all our Last King fans, peace out. This has been your co-host, uh, Director Shafiq. <laughs> and this is Mrs. Toffee signing out.
bless 